party committees for vendors are not the place to strike it rich. Party committees are party committees, and I see them as the good housekeeping seal of approval for vendors. I'm Eric Wilson, managing partner of Startup Caucus, an investment fund and incubator for Republican campaign technology. Welcome to the Business of Politics show. On this podcast, we bring you into conversation with the entrepreneurs who build best-in-class political businesses, the funders who provide the capital, and the operatives who put it all together to win campaigns. Our guest today is Kevin McLaughlin, most recently the executive director of the National Republican Senatorial Committee for the 2020 cycle. We'll call it the NRSC for the rest of the show. He was deputy ED for the 2016 cycle and a senior advisor in the 2014 cycle when the GOP took the majority. I honestly can't think of a better person to explore the NRSC than Kevin. Kevin, let's begin by giving our listeners an insider's understanding of the NRSC and the role it plays in Senate elections. What are the most critical things that the NRSC does? So the NRSC is the only hard dollar entity that is dedicated solely to electing Republican senators and a Republican Senate majority. And, you know, the hard dollar, I'm sure your listeners know, these are the FEC finance limits. We can only raise money in certain amounts. And then uh, there's the soft dollar entities and super PACs that people are familiar with and get checks as big as they want. So, you know, the NRSC then takes that money and does do television ads. We do a lot of digital work. We do grassroots. We do field operation. We do everything we can research to uh, to help out campaigns and make them win. So, I mean, I think the most important part of the NRSC is that you have to be ingrained with campaigns. We are the only ones who can coordinate directly with campaigns. We can talk to campaigns. I can see their entire plan, but outside groups can't see that. So we should know every single thing going on in the campaign at the NRSC. Important distinctions here around campaign finance. NRSC is really the team of experts who help individual candidates and their campaigns get their operations up to standards. Correct. And in this wacky FEC world, I kind of think that like I'm going to date myself here and very few people actually get this joke. But the NRSC, because of campaign finance law, is kind of like EF Hutton. When we talk, people listen because outside groups know that the NRSC at least should be completely and totally knowledgeable about every single thing going in that campaign. So when I was at the NRSC, because I can't talk about things privately, I wanted outside groups to know what was going on X, Y, and Z campaign. I would tell a reporter exactly what I wanted that outside group to know. And I'd hope to God that reporter would write it. And then I'd hope to God the outside groups would see it and say, we need help with women 25 to 54 in the suburbs of Des Moines. It is kind of a funny thing when people that you've worked with for years, you're now no longer allowed to talk to um, because it's Mm -hmm. illegal. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is the regime of campaign financing we find ourselves in. In terms of funding its operations, give us a sense of where the NRSC gets its support and how that has changed over the years that you've been involved with it. Yeah, there's been a huge evolution on this. And it's a testament to the dedication, hard work, and resolute mindset of many people who went before, starting as early as 2011. The NRSC under Senator Todd Young, Chairman Todd Young in 2020, raised $338 million total. The previous record was $152 million. So Chairman Young blew the doors off any records. Now, 43% of those dollars, of that $338 million, came from digital specifically, but small dollar donations. So including mail, you're pushing half of the money, a little less than half, 
coming in from small dollar donations, but 43% coming from digital fundraising specifically. In 2012, when they raised 117 million, just under three and a half percent came in from digital specifically donations. So you can see that over the course of an eight year period that it grew almost 1200%. The pie is actually getting bigger. The pie is definitely getting bigger. The digital fundraising aspect of the NRSC was growing 2x cycle over cycle from 2012 to 2018, which is great growth, right? I mean, anyone would take that growth in any line of work. We grew it by four and a half x. And that was not necessarily only because of us. We probably did some things that helped it out, obviously, but it was because we were standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. I would expect in 2022, with the dedication of the NRSC and their staff right now to how much they raise, I would expect the percentage of donations for the NRSC to be well over 50 from digital this cycle. People don't understand exponential thinking, period, (laughs) but compound interest, especially the more you put into your online fundraising program now, the more you're going to get out later on. I'm glad to hear that that is paying off for those early investments. Talk about what that does in terms of how you can run a committee when you're not as beholden to major donors or corporate donors, when you have the support of grassroots like this. Yeah, it's incredible. And, and, you know, straight from a business standpoint, you know, as the executive director, I knew, thanks to Chairman Gardner and Chris Hansen, that we had high six figures a month coming in and recurring. So it was a lot different for me versus some of my predecessors. I think about, you know, Rob Collins and the financial decisions he had to make when he really committed to this digital program and building this digital program. And we weren't bringing in a lot of money on recurring in those early days. And he kept on pushing money. It was really smart. It was really brave and it had to be terrifying. (laughs) You know, I had the opposite. I, I got to benefit from the stuff that he and his successors did. And I didn't have to worry about payroll. I didn't have to worry about the nuts and bolts day to day expenses that come with running a business because of that recurring file on where it was. So just the whole way of looking at the building, like I got to get money in because we're not going to have any money was that part, right? And the second part is like, listen, our digital raised was the same amount almost exactly as the entire raised in 2018. If you think about the amount of lead on target that you can put and help these races, it's without human capital. You know, you don't have a senator flying somewhere. You don't have someone doing this. You don't have phone calls being made. It's just you're pushing stuff. And so it, it literally gave us the ability, the largest IE ever run out of the NRSC up until 2020 was, I think, 43 million. And we did almost 150 million out of the NRSC. So that's all because of those people who went before us and the ability that this digital fundraising machine that the NRSC now has, that's why we could do that. The autonomy that comes with it, I think, is something mm-hmm. that not enough people appreciate. And, and, and listen, and, here's the other thing that yeah. comes along with it, by the way, is is like, you know, one of the things that we need to do as a party is we need to find more donors. We're all mm-hmm. fishing off the same pier, more or less. I feel like a lot of the prospecting that we're all doing is in the exact same places. And, you know, if that's what we're doing, two things are going to happen. If we're going to tap out those donors, number one, obviously. And number two is we burn those house files to the ground. And so we lose that recurring and we lose our future donations if we aren't broadening the base of donors out there. And so that's one of the things that I really want to do. And I'm committed to trying to help people do going forward through the Digital Leadership Fund and Common Sense Leadership Fund that I've started now. But, you know, I mean, that, that those are 
fledgling projects, but ones that I'm really committed to because of like what I saw and the ability that it gave us as a committee and as candidates to be able to do really good things. I say that we're in digital campaigning 2.0 is really where we are, where we, you know, we've gotten past the initial, you know, you got to do this, you got to be online, you know, we're, everyone's there. Mm-hmm. We're now mm-hmm. at 2.0, which is we're digitizing all of the different campaign functions. And where right. we are right now with, with online fundraising is it's essentially direct mail tactics amped up with technology and digital marketing. The challenge for the the sort of the tail end of digital 2.0 is getting that to as many campaigns and organizations as possible because we need technology and innovative business models to figure out how to lower those startup costs so everyone can tap into the power long-term. Under the current situation, a lot of our campaigns and candidates are competing against each other for the exact same donors. That's got to change because it's driving up cost for our campaigns and the ROI could be better. Let me put it that way. And it has the distinct possibility of declining if we continue on that path. So I think that is something I'm 100% with you and that like we have to keep on evolving and we have to keep on seeing what is next and what are over the horizon and around the corner. And so I completely agree with you. Talk a little bit about how being a staff member at the NRSC, you know, you interact with campaigns in, in different ways. You know, we, we had people that were flying all over the place, spending their entire lives in different parts of the country and working with campaigns. Because as anyone who's worked in a campaign knows, they're incredibly understaffed, no matter how big and how, how much money they raise. And so an extra body that you don't have to pay for that can help you out through the NRSC or the DSCC or wherever is like manna from heaven. And so that's kind of what I was alluding to from the standpoint of like the NRSC, in my mind, has to be 100% ingrained with campaigns and know every single thing going on. And if we aren't, then we don't have a lot of value necessarily. That is our differentiating factor in this marketplace. And, you know, that is something we need to continue to nourish. And it's really hard to find that in super packed world. You know, we used to be the big dog on the block that everyone had to kiss our ring and get the money. That's just not the case anymore. And so, you know, we need to find other ways to add value and make people's lives better. And one of them is through obviously coordinated spending, but the other part too is is through just human capital. Yeah, I spent the last few months of 2016 bouncing around the country, helping out campaigns on behalf of the NRSC. And so it was at that point still kind of difficult to get full-time digital staff into these campaigns. And so that was just one example of how the NRSC was able to put lead on the target beyond just the financial capital. Yeah, I appreciate you doing that. And uh, you played a big role in it, obviously. And so, you know, the NRSC can't be about the NRSC. We looked at it like a customer service business in our campaigns, in our donors. We had a lot of different customers. We had to like really, really work hard to make all of them happy. And so our instructions from Senator Young, the chairman at the time, was whatever anyone wants, as long as we can legally do it, we will try to give them in every capacity. And that's why Chairman Young worked so hard to raise so much money was because we knew we had a lot of races and they would be tough and we were going to have to spend a lot of money on a lot of different things. And so that to me, it's not about the NRSC. It's not about any one person. It's about these campaigns and giving them what they need and letting them take credit for the stuff. So Kevin, one of the first misconceptions that I help political entrepreneurs overcome when we're working with them via Startup Caucus is this idea that they can go to a committee or a party like the NRSC, have a really good pitch, great product, and then someone like you says, oh, this is great, and then forces every Senate campaign to become a customer. As you've shared, that's not really the way it works. So give our (laughs) listeners some advice about how you actually sell to committees and campaigns. 
One of the things that's tough about politics in general is the best product doesn't always win or the best candidate doesn't always win. And there's just because it's politics, there are a lot of politics at play. But I think it's really important, you know, as, as a guy who is on the receiving end of a lot of those pitches, you know, there has to be some stress testing on whatever it is. I mean, one of the things we struggle with on campaigns and party committees is, is the short time frame. And it's a hard place to take risks because if it doesn't turn out, it's not like, oh, well, we'll just get him next fiscal year or whatever. It could cost you the election. And so having an understanding of that and being able to show and not just tell, particularly committees to your question, like why it will work or how to minimize the downside of it if it doesn't work exactly as planned, this I think is really important. But, you know, I think party committees for vendors are not the place to strike it rich. Party committees are party committees, and I see them as the good housekeeping seal of approval for vendors. So, I mean, I think it might be like a two-step thing. Is like, let's do a small program, one cycle, where we test this thing out. You can see it. And if it works, we can talk about the, the future. And if something is shown to work, people are going to want it. You know, right, if you look yeah. at micro-targeting and you look at digital fundraising now, I mean, it's just like when it's proven to work, people will do it. And so I think that's kind of what you got to do. It's not easy to crack into. I'm not going to lie to you. And I was probably more guilty than most. But, you know, you just kind of look at this thing and you go, gosh, I mean, and, you know, when you're in the chair making the decisions, um, you know, you, um, you look at it just from a standpoint of like, I, I wish that the terms were longer. Let me put it this way. The NRSC specifically... I think they should professionalize the building. So you sort know? of like a more long-term organization than cycle by yeah. cycle. Yeah. You know, the RGA does four-year terms for their EDs and their mm -hmm. senior staff, you know? And I think that one of the good things about the NRSC model is turnover is good, right? I mean, it's good to have fresh blood and you don't want people parking there who are dead weight for a long time just because they can, you know, and they know the ways in the ins and outs of the building. But the other time, you know, I mean, I think that one of the things that we suffer from is just reinventing the wheel every two years. Mm -hmm. And I think that if there was more consistency, it would be easier to do things like you're talking about. This is something that we really need to focus on. And part of the reason Startup Caucus exists is there is not a whole lot of long term thinking in professional mm -hmm. politics, we are very mm -hmm. much like, okay, how do I get to my 50% plus one every two years, whether that's the House or the Senate? And then, of course, the Electoral College in, in the presidential years. And that's not how innovation works. That's not how technology development works. That's not how insights about marketing works. And so it's fine when you've been running campaigns the same way for 50 years, right? You're saying, okay, mm -hmm. find competent people to do that again. But there's so much disruption going on in campaigns and our current structures aren't really oriented towards that long-term thinking. And oh, by the way, our campaigns are now long-term operations and sure. they never shut down. And so I think that's a really uh, a critical point there. Um, but just to summarize what you were saying about getting in with campaigns, particularly Senate campaigns, is you need to have a track record, right? It's yep. easier to start that conversation when you've done some good work and by that point have relationships with people who might be in the committee or on the campaign itself. Yeah. You need a third party validator. Can't just be your word. 
And so, yeah, I'm with you. So you're listening to the Business of Politics show. I'm speaking with Kevin McLaughlin, who ran the NRSC as executive director during the 2020 election cycle. Plus, uh, we had a few special <laughs> elections. Um, Kevin, I want to shift our focus to the future of campaigning. And you alluded to this earlier, which is technology and funding mechanisms are opening up outside group. Talk to us a little bit about how you see that role growing over coming years. It's an exciting time to be involved in politics uh, because, uh, and maybe it's been like this all the time, but I do feel like in my couple decades of doing this, there is the most change going on right now. Um, and you kind of talked about, you know, how digital's intertwined in campaigns. You know, all, all of us old timers remember when, you know, luminaries in our industry like Matt Lira and Pat. Patrick Ruffini were sitting in the RNCE campaign uh, and none of us, you know, dinosaurs of politics really knew exactly what to make of the whole thing. Like we didn't know what their IT guys or what they yeah, did. You were asking them to and, fix printers. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. Should I just turn it off and turn it back on, Lyra? What should I do here? Um, so, you know, I mean, it's evolved really, really quickly, though. I mean, that's 2005, 2006. And here we are, you know, it is the central hub of the entire campaign. And so, listen, I think the work that that folks have done in the digital space has been on the Republican side has been enormous. I think we have just as much talent as on the other side. You know, I think we just might be a little fractured. And I think that like the work that Garrett's doing at WinRed and trying to unify people behind one payment system, everyone's starting to see the has now starting to. They've seen over the last couple of years the benefit of a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think we need to apply that. Like too often in the Republican side, we're fractured and competing with each other. And we're trying to like hoard stuff for ourselves so that we believe that's our competitive advantage. That's the way we're programmed that like, right. I got to keep what's mine and make sure Eric doesn't see it because he'll steal my competitive advantage. It's like, well, I'm not competing with you, Eric. Like we're on the same team. And so if I give you my stuff and you give me your stuff, well, we double our stuff. <laughs> and right. so is this, this transition to a, a abundance mindset from a scarcity mindset, correct. which, which technology right. enables, right. And, and it, right. it is, it is cultural and it'll take us a while to get there. Well, Kevin, I want to just thank you so much for a great conversation today. And thanks for joining us. It was really great to learn from your insights and hear where you think things are going in the future. And, and we're already seeing glimpses of that. And so if folks want to keep in touch with Kevin, he's a great follower on Twitter, just Kevin McLaughlin give him a look and follow. He's working on some exciting stuff. Please remember to subscribe to the Business of Politics show wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, go check out some of our earlier episodes or share it with a friend. We really appreciate your help in getting the word out about our new podcast. So thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.